You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming, with Pastor Keith Miller. Good morning. My name is Irina, and I'm on the scripture reading team. Today, our scripture comes from Romans 11, verses 25 through 36. Please stand up to honor the reading of God's word. And if you would like to follow in the church Bible, it can be found at page 947. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness and sins. This will be my covenant with them, when I take away their sins. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways! For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. Today we will pray for missionaries Robert and Ann Coletti with Family Life Crew. They are one of the missionaries that Meadowbrook Church supports. Please pray with me. Dear Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for creating this beautiful day when we can come to church, be with a community of believers, worship you, and learn from your word. Lord, we also pray for Robert and Ann today. Thank you so much for many years of their faithful service. We pray that you would continue to encourage and guide them as they're coming alongside families and help them in whatever needs they may have. Lord, we pray that Robert and Ann's financial needs will also be taken care of and that you will continue to prosper this ministry. Lord, please pray. Bless Keith today as he preaches from the word, and may we have the ears to hear what you have prepared for us today. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you. So this is, we're in Romans, uh, Romans chapter 11, where Paul in Romans 11, towards the tail end of this, from verses 25 through uh, 36, he is bringing everything to a close in terms of the theological part of Romans. So the, theolo- the, the theological part of Romans, like the just heavy theology, who are we? Wh- what does it mean to be a human being? What does it mean to be a sinner? What is it, how does God choose people? How does he save? All this stuff. Th- those are in the first 11 chapters of Romans. And then chapter 12, th- you know, 13, 14, and 15 is all application. So what does this mean 
for how you, in terms of how you treat one another. What does this mean? What does 1 through 11 mean for uh, how we respond to our government? And, uh, and, and on and on it goes. So we'll, we'll unpack that in the weeks to come, but I just want us to just camp on these, on these verses. And when I was reading through this passage, thinking about uh, especially verses 33 through 36, uh, the phrase that came to mind that is be- increasingly popular today is is the phrase uh, "staying" or "stay woke" or "woke." How many of you have heard that before? "Woke" or "stay woke." Okay, uh, and what it means, in case you're wondering, or maybe you even know this, but it is to be to be aware of and actively attentive to important facts and issues, especially issues of racial and social justice. It's a, it was a slang word. My guess is you'll find it in the dictionary. If it's not already there, it will be in, in the next year or so. Uh, stay woke is gaining popularity today um, also, and that describes a state of being self-aware while questioning the dominant paradigm while striving for something better. And here's, here's the deal. This is... This is this is why this is relevant, because our world, our world is looking at, uh, people are looking at the world, and, and, and they know, I mean, it's in our songs, it's in our movies, it's, it's in the books that you read, they know that there's something wrong with the world. Something's just not right. It's not what it should be, it's not what it ought to be, and so how do we fix it? And so... So uh, that is why this phrase has grown in popularity. The other, the other thing that, or the other reason why I draw your attention to this word is because to be woke in a spiritual sense is to be alive in Jesus, to, to, be, to be awakened to the reality that we're sinners and in desperate need of a Savior, and Jesus is that Savior, and it is only in him and through him that we can have eternal life. What the world doesn't know is that, that that, that the reason why the world is the way it is is because people need Jesus, because we're sinners, because of our heart condition. You know, like Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9 says this. Let's uh, bring it up on the screen. Where is it? There we go. Uh, let's read this together. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? That's the reason why our world is in the mess that it's in, because of, because of our heart problem. And God is fixing it one life at a time. And for whatever the reason, uh, the... Our world thinks that if we just have better laws, if we have better policies, if we write some kind of moral mural on the asphalt in front of a building, that that's going to address the problems of our world, which it won't, because it's deeper than that. And then you've heard you've, you, the phrase that's been included in every sermon since we started, since COVID-19, which is the title of the sermon series is what? Following Jesus in a what? Good job, Ryan. Good job. COVID-19 world. <laughs> in a COVID-19 world, uh, why? Like, I mean, I, my guess is that maybe some of you are tired of COVID, not hearing COVID-19. Just, it's just wearing you thin. 
here's, here's why I chose that phrase. Because what I learned about viruses before we started the sermon series is that viruses are considered by most biologists and doctors as being a non-living organism. So uh, it's not really alive. And I thought, my, my mind wanders, wanders sometimes, and I thought, wow, so that means that the closest thing that I will come to ever experiencing a zombie apocalypse is what happens inside my body when I have a virus, right? And, and so what, what happens? Well, the virus that is not really living uh, attaches itself to a cell, inserts itself into the cell, uh, replicates itself, and then the cell dies, and it spreads the virus even more to attack other cells. Now, that's a, that is like an elementary grade-level explanation of what happens that I can only wrap my mind around. So, like, I am not called to be a medical do doctor. Biology was fun, but not my, not my uh, greatest subject. But the reason why the COVID-19 is in the sermon title, or in the sermon series title, is because we live in a world that's dead. And the sickness of our world is sin. And the only hope for a cure is Jesus, is the gospel, period. And that's why in Romans, at the very beginning of Romans, Paul said this. Let's read this together. He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The gospel alone has the power to change lives. So Paul started his whole epistle to the Romans. He started out with making that statement. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the only hope for the nations. It is the only hope for the nations. And that until a person hears the gospel, receives it, and believes it, they will never be truly woke, spiritually woke. I mean, like, uh, like if you ever saw the movie The Matrix, how many of you have seen the movie The Matrix? Okay, so middle service wins the hand-raised uh, award of watching <laughs> The Matrix. But... Uh, in The Matrix, you had these two characters, a guy by the name of Neo. Well, you had a bunch of characters, but let's focus on Neo. Neo was living in The Matrix, which looked like this, and he knew something was not right with the world. He wasn't quite sure what it was, but knew that it was wrong. And uh, he met this other guy by the name of Morpheus, and Morpheus sa sat down with him and said, Hey, uh, you want to be woken up to reality, uh, well, you can have one of these two pills. If you take the red pill, I believe that's the one that will wake you up, and then the blue pill is the one you can continue living this lie that you've been living. Well, well, he takes the red pill, and he wakes up to reality. Well, that's what happened with us. When we received the gospel, God opened our eyes. The Bible says this about, about people. It says that the God of this world has blinded the eyes and the minds of the unbelieving that until those blinders are removed, you will not see reality. And so, so the world puts stuff out. People put stuff out. Directors of movies put stuff out. Screenwriters put stuff out. That is kind of like a shadow of reality. So in every great story, there is a what? Let's see if you get it right. It starts with an H. A hero or a protagonist, right? And then you also have a who? an antagonist or a villain. And if the story's worth its weight in watching or reading or listening to, who wins at the end? 
the hero, unless you're watching some Japanese samurai kung fu movie where everybody dies at the end. That's what I mean, I'm telling you, it's true. I'm a huge kung fu movie uh, fan, and, and I don't know why. Sometimes I watch, I'm like, that, really? Like, the, both the bad guys and the good guys died? Like, that's, that stinks. But in the gospel, the gospel contains everything that makes a great story great because it is the great story. The Bible is a great story. It's true. It's real. And when we've been truly woke, when we've been spiritually woke, the, the, the evidence of that is found in Romans chapter 12, verse 9, which we will look at in the, in the weeks to come, where it says, let love be what? Genuine, like real. Not, not, not this fake stuff you see in the world, but real. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. You know that word hold fast actually can be translated cling. Cling, cling to what is good. How many of you like roller coasters? Good, you're in good company. Uh, oh, I used to, no. I, I hate roller coasters. I hate them. Uh, so we went to Disney World a few years ago, and my boys convinced me to go on a roller coaster. I promise, I will go on one roller coaster as long as it did not have loops, like where I was upside down. I will go on the roller coaster. And uh, so the time came for me to go on a roller coaster. So I got on the roller coaster with both. Didn't do it, you know, like I, I had to do. It. I was committed. So I got on the roller coaster with both my at the time. Seven, it was the 18, 17-year-old Nathan and little Seth, who didn't think much about the roller coaster. He's like, this is fun. And I was petrified. So I felt like I had to do it. And we got on the roller coaster, went on it, and I white-knuckled the bar in front of me. You, you know what that is, right? You know, white-knuckling it. I would not let go. And I couldn't think, I, I thought to myself, why in the world did I even say yes? And by the time I got off the thing, I was shaking. Like I, and I was agitated. Like my boys looked at me, are you okay? I'm like, no. I'm angry that I got on this stupid thing. Um, clinging to what is good is holding on to it for dear life. Like, like I am not letting go because, this, because in this is, is life. What is good is life. And I hate what is, what is evil. Like as a result of uh, you hearing the gospel and believing in Jesus, something happened in your heart, happened in your mind that enabled you to love God the way you were created to love him and to see and love your neighbor in a way that you've not seen or been able to love your neighbor before. Like, like as a result of believing in God and, and, and really falling in love with him because he did this thing in your heart, uh, you can now look at your neighbor, regardless of skin color, you can look at your neighbor as a person created in the image of God. And regardless of skin color, social status, or whatever, that person has value and has worth. And you can respond accordingly. Our world is missing that. It's missing it. And you just turn on the TV and you see it. Like, it is jacked up, upside down. It is, it is strange. Like, I, I feel like I'm watching um, the Twilight series, you know? Like, I went on Facebook and saw a video, and uh, in the video, there it was another, it, was a, it, was, it happened in another nation, experiencing some of the same stuff we're experiencing. There were protests. This police officer was trying to hold back the violent protesters, and you could see this person go up behind the police officer, 
pour lighter fluid on his back and light him on fire. Like, our world is messed up. And it's easy to turn on the TV and think, is, is God even awake? Like, is he, is he aware of what's happening? Has he given up on us? And that's where we come to Romans chapter 11, verse 25. Paul, Paul makes two, he wants two things to be very clear. And, and the first is this, that God is alive and he is well in the universe. He is moving in the universe. He is active. He's not on a bench somewhere. He's not taking a nap. He is alive and he is well in the universe. There was a book written in 1970 by Hal Lindsey. Any of you hear of him? Called the late, his book was titled The Late Great Planet Earth. It was a number one bestseller, if you can believe it, um, in 1970. And you can, t- you can still find it uh, on Amazon and purchase a copy. It's probably like on its 100th printing or whatever. But in that book, he explained w- through the Bible, through prophetic passages, why the world was the way that it was. And and I probably won't, I probably I don't agree with most of it um, because there's a certain slant that he takes, you know, in it. But what I do know is that that paved the way for endless books, numbers of books that were published on how the world was going to end, who the latest Antichrist was or is, and that Jesus' return was imminent. Remember last week I said, Jesus said some things about the end of the world, and, and uh, I made the statement, we are closer to that actually happening than when he first said it, right? So I don't, <laughs> Jesus is coming, just don't know when. I want to read for you what Jesus actually said in Matthew 24, verses 4 through 14. The words will not be on the screen, so if you're following a Bible, you can turn to it. If you want to listen, awesome. But this is what Jesus said. He said, see that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Anybody, like, that's happening, right? Like, we're seeing that happen in our world. He said, but these are just uh, the beginning of the birth pains. You know what happens with birth pains? Not that I've experienced them. <laughs> I've sympathized with my wife who experienced birth pains. What happens? The birth pains get more frequent and closer together, and then it's time for what? The birth. And so Jesus said, these things are just, they're going to increase. And as they increase, it, don't be alarmed because these things need to happen. And then he goes on to say, for... Um, you know, that, that they will then deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations, even America, for my name's sake. You know, like, because, like one of the things that we're seeing in our nation right now is a, an increasing uh, level of hostility against anybody with a Christian worldview. Have you seen that, right? I mean, it's pretty obvious. Like, you even had Don so-and-so guy on CNN say, yeah, Jesus even admitted that he, 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 he wasn't perfect. I thought, what? Um, which is interesting. But, which, anyway, not that I watch CNN or Fox or anything. Just the weather. <laughs> I, I can't even trust that, it seems like. Um, but, but he said, you'll be delivered up. And, and even when you're delivered up, 
I mean, don't, don't, don't lose sleep over it. Don't lose sleep over it. And then he says, and this sounds so like today, he says, then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And we're seeing that. We're seeing predominant supposed Christians stand, you know, say and make professions that I no longer believe in Jesus. You know, we saw like the, one, the first one that shocked me was Joshua Harris when he said, I no longer believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be. I don't believe the Bible. I'm not a Christian anymore. And uh, the blog posts were numerous. Uh, the one that caught my eye was I kissed dating. You know, the, the author of I kissed dating goodbye now kissed Christianity goodbye. And, I, and it's sad. And then some other well-known Christians have uh, denied the faith. Jesus said that's going to happen. And many false prophets will arise and lead, us, lead many astray. And, and because the law, here, here it is. I mean, this is what I feel like we're experiencing right now. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. You know, like, it is stupid to think that if we, and I know this is political, but to say that we, if we defund the police, that that's going to make the world a better place. Because there's this, there is, we call it a presupposition, this, this belief that you come, that you arrive with that kind of shapes how you see the world. And the belief that our world has is that we are inherently good people. And the reality is that what we're not. And if we remove the restraints that keep us from being worse as a species, we will be worse. And Jesus said, But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed through the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. The word for nations here is the word ethnos, and it means people groups. It means people groups. So maybe some of you are asking, well, Pastor Keith, when do you think Jesus will come? Well, here, I want to show you a graphic that I find very interesting. Uh, so there are an estimated, and you can find this information on the joshuaproject.org, I guess it's their website, a good, good source of information, Christian website. Um, there are just over 17,000 people groups in the world. Just over 17,000 people groups in the world. Uh, 18% have been significantly reached with the gospel. 21% partially reached. Just over 10% uh, superficially reached. And just over 6% minimally reached. Meaning uh, they've, you know, they've had some contact Somebody in that people group had some contact with the gospel, and then 42.4% are unreached. So what did, what did Paul or what did Jesus say? He said, "The kingdom, the gospel, the kingdom of God will be preached to how many people groups? All. How many are left? 42%. I demonstrated in the second service why I. Uh, nearly failed math because <laughs> I said that means <laughs> that means we're 68 percent almost there, which is not the case. We're 58 percent, so we're not even passing. We're failing. Um, not really. We are 58 percent further in the reaching of the nations with the gospel than when Jesus first made that statement. So you want to know when uh, Jesus is coming? I believe Jesus will come when the last people group of that 7,397 people groups is reached. And it's happening. 
in our world. It's happening. I mean, there are, people, there are missionaries right now who are being trained and learning languages of certain people groups who they know that if they enter into that unreached people group, they most likely will not live a long life. Because why, why are unreached people groups unreached? As David Platt said, because they're hard to reach. Right? But Jesus said, Go and make disciples of all nations. And, and when you feel alone and when you feel overwhelmed, know this, that I am with you to the end of the age. I am with you to the end of the age. And there are uh, not just, I mean, of, of the 17,000 people groups, there are 6,500 total languages that are estimated amongst, um, uh, in the midst of those people groups. 49 hundred of those languages have, uh, have seen some portion of the Bible translated into those languages, which means that there are still 1,600 languages to be learned and for the Bible to be translated into it. That excites me, by the way, because like now technology is at a level where it makes translating the Bible as much smaller than it ever was. It makes re the ability to reach people groups with the gospel that are unreached is much I mean, getting there is much simpler and easier than, than it ever was. But there's still work to do. And, and Paul picks up on this in verses 25 and 26. He says, Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel. Well, how long is that hardening going to last? Well, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So what's going to happen is the gospel is going to continue to move forward. People groups are going to continue to be reached with the gospel, unreached people groups. And when that last people group or that last language is interpreted and the Bible on some level has been put into that language, then an awakening will happen amongst Israel where the hardening of, the, of Israel will be removed and hundreds thousands, maybe even millions of Jews will hear the gospel and they will believe in Jesus as the Messiah and then Jesus will come and he'll set up his kingdom. That, that's all coming. That means, what that means is that we are closer than any time ever in history for the return of Jesus and to experience him coming and fixing this mess. But until that happens, people need to hear the gospel. There are people who are asleep. We go and share the gospel with them. You need to be woken. And the only way that's going to happen is if we go and share the gospel with them. Why? Because that's the way God has chosen to do it. That's the marvel in this. Is he wants to use you and he wants to use me to accomplish his global purposes. Not because he has to. Not because he needs to but because he wants to and because he delights to do it. To do it. We are, like I said a couple of weeks ago, we are the evidence that God raises the dead. Like today is a significant day for me because July 12th, uh, 1991, I was laying in the middle of Route 1, uh, which is the equivalent of Del Range. I was laying in the middle of Route 1. It was pouring down rain. I was spewing out curses out of my mouth and I was pleading with God at the same time, if you let me live, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I keep sharing this story because it's, so, it, it, it's so important to me. I mean, this is more important. Like July 18th, the day I became a follower of Jesus, is more important to me than my birthday. 
Like my life changed. What happened? What happened on July 18th when I got on the middle, in the middle of my living room and said, God, I don't know much about you, but I want you. I want to be a, a Christian. I want Jesus in my life. What happened? Somebody who was dead was made alive. That's what happened. What happened was the, 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 uh, the same power that stood before Lazarus' tomb after he had been dead for a number of days stood before that tomb, that power is Jesus, and he yelled at that tomb or to Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth, and what did he do? He had no alternative but to get up and walk out of that tomb after he had already, his body already started experiencing rigor mortis and his cells started to decompose. God, uh, Jesus raised him from the grave. That's what happened to you and that's what happened to me spiritually. That's what it means to be spiritually woke. And when 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 all that happens and, and God opens, you know, removes the hardness of, of Israel, uh, then will come to pass that time that we all long for, that the deliverer, Jesus, will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob, and this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Then, then he'll balance the scales of justice and he'll make all that's wrong with this world right. I can't wait for that day. Like, it's not encouraging to me to, just, to see what's happening in our world. But what is encouraging is that I know God is doing this amazing work uh, in the nations, and he's going to continue that even with nations that are yet reached. And there's coming a day when the, when the gospel will be proclaimed to the whole world, the whole world. And, and here's the great thing about, about this passage. Paul wants to remind us of this in verse 29. He said, you know, unless you're tempted to think that God takes back his promises, or he, he asks back, he asks his gifts, you know, he wants a return on his gifts or whatever, um, he, he, he doesn't take back his promises. He doesn't ask for a return on his gifts. He is a God who is faithful, even though we are faithless. And he is the God who uses imperfect, jacked-up sinners who have been made alive like you and like me. And um, that's good news. And he's bringing the gospel to the nations through the truly woke in the world, and that is the church. It should be the church, right? Like, we should be able to look at our neighbor and see our neighbor for who our neighbor is. Someone created in the image of God. With, all, with value and, 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 and with so much to, to offer, you know, by way of culture and, and experiences, that this person is a unique human being and the color of that person's skin or their social standing does nothing to change that. I said all throughout my ministry as a pastor, racism, bigotry, even racist jokes, you know where that comes from? Straight from the pit of hell. You know why? Because it does exactly what Satan wants to do. Demean and pervert the image of God. So God's doing this work, and that is the only hope for racial reconciliation. <laughs> Our race as a human race needs to be reconciled to the God of all creation in whose, Im whose image we bear. And then the rest will happen, you know, horizontally. But that's not the only thing. Paul says here that God is, in verses 33 through 36, 
that God is the center of the universe. He's the center of his universe. You, you, like the, some have said, and they are right in saying this, I would say it's the secondary need of human beings, and that is that we need to understand what our purpose is in life. If you don't have a sense of purpose, then you wind up being depressed, and you really, you know, all kinds of things happen that are bad if you, if you, if you don't know what your purpose is. And, and until you know who God is, you'll never know who your purpose is. And until you understand that God is the center of his universe and that we exist for him and not the other way around, we'll never understand our purpose. One person said this, he said, every ant knows the formula of its anthill. Every bee knows the formula of its beehive. They know it in their own way, not in our way. Only humankind does not know its formula. You want to know our formula? Our formula is found in verses 33 through 36. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. What about it? That you cannot plumb the depths of God's wisdom, of his knowledge, of his riches. Not just that, his goodness and his grace and his love and his mercy. They're unending. Do you want to know the only being in all of, in all of the universe that does not need to improve upon himself is God? Like he is as good as it gets. Do you know who needs to improve upon themselves? Me? <laughs> Ask my family. They'll tell you. I've got work to do. I'm better than I was, but there's still work to do. And the same, is, the same can be said of you, if you're honest with yourselves. But, the, but God doesn't need to improve upon himself because he is perfect in every way. And Paul, Paul points that out. He said, if, you, if you're wondering why he does what he does, it, because he's perfect. That's why he does what he does. If, if you have a problem with chapter 9, the problem is not with God, it's pro, it's the problem is with you. If you have a problem with Romans chapter 8, the problem is not with God, the problem is with you. If you have any problem with the, what's written in the Bible, the problem is not with God, the problem is with who? You and me. Anytime we read the Bible and we, we read something we don't like, and we decide that we're going to change that thing about God, you know what we've done? Is we created an idol in our own image. And so God, Paul says, look, God is the center of his universe. And how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways, meaning you can't correct his ways, they're perfect. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? Nobody. Like, you can't repay God. There's nothing you can give to God that, 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 that will repay him for anything that he's done for you. And then here's, here's, our, here's why we exist. Here, here, here's our purpose. Here's, here's our formula. It's in verse 36. For from him and through him and to him are what? All things. And who are the all things? Not just everything else in creation, but also human beings. I mean, that's good news. There are two realities that you can come, come to turn, you, you can arrive with and, uh, when you're trying to figure out life. And, and uh, you call it a presupposition. So, so one presupposition for why everything exists is that this is all an accident. And the reason why we call it a presupposition is that none of us were at the very beginning when everything was made, right? 
So, so you either believe that this is an accident or that there's design behind everything that you see. And so for those who believe that for some random chance there was a single cell organism and it formed and voila, here we are, human beings and everything else, then this is as good as it gets. That the, that the survival of the fittest is, actual, is an actual legitimate creed and that uh, right now the human species is the strongest and fittest of, of, uh, of all, you know, Earth, and that this is as good as it gets. And so, so, yeah, so what we see in the world is the closest thing that we'll ever come to experiencing heaven. That could be one conclusion, or there is a creator, and that we bear his image, and that every, everything exists for him, and that we're sinners, that, uh, and he sent his son to die for us, and the only way to be reconciled to him is through his son Jesus, and if we are reconciled to him, then, then, then COVID-19, what we see on the news, all the stuff that's happening around us is the closest thing that we'll ever come to experiencing hell. Which puts things in perspective, doesn't it? Like people are literally living a lie thinking that this is as good as it gets. And we have the greatest news in the universe to tell them, no, it gets better. And the way that you can experience the better part of it is by being reconciled to the one you offended with your sin, who is God. And you don't have to do anything to earn, earn his favor or earn his forgiveness. You just need to receive what he has already provided, and that is the death of his son in our place for our sins. His son who lived the life that none of us could ever live and died the death that we, every single one of us deserved to die and that, that he validated that when he rose from the grave. And the marvel in all this is that he's using people who are spiritually woke, who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus, to send them, to send us into Cheyenne, to send us into our family, in the world of our families, to send us into the world of our place of employment, to send us into uh, Wyoming or into Colorado or, or any other place in the world. And maybe you're here, there, here today and God may be calling you to maybe one of the unreached people groups. And so I thought about this passage, and as I was wrapping it up in my brain, thinking about just everything that these verses mean for us, I, I, I wrote down some questions where Paul answered these questions. Like the first question is, what is God currently doing among the Gentiles? What is he, curr what is he currently doing? Romans chapter 9, we looked at it a few weeks ago. Those who are not my people, I will call my people. Remember that, right? Like, like uh, Gomer was the woman of whoredom, and Hosea was the prophet who was told to go take the woman who was, who was sold into, who wound up in slavery because of her actions, purchase her back, clothe her in, her, in, in white, never to be sold into slavery again, which is a picture of, of the church, which is a picture of us. He says, those who are not my people, I will call my people, and her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in every place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. How is he doing? Or, or, or how is he doing that? How is he uh, reaching the Gentiles? Why is he doing that? He is doing it out of the depths of the riches of his mercy and grace. Another question: How is God calling people to Himself? Romans chapter eight, verse twenty-nine. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. 
That's amazing. He is doing it because of his infinite wisdom and knowledge that flow out of his perfect goodness. That's why he's doing it. He is calling people to himself, and he's going to continue to do that. And the way that he is going to let them know that he's calling them to himself is by sending you and by sending me to them. Who is God using to call people to himself? You know the answer to that, but Romans 10 tells us, How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him who they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. You know, and he's, this is the way he's chosen. It's his perfect way. Not because we're perfect, but because he is. We are evidence, as I said earlier, that God is in the business of raising the dead. And why is God calling people to himself? Well, it's right there. Let's read this together. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. And all God's people said, Amen, right? So that's why we can cry out with the Apostle Paul, if God is for us, who can be against us? Right. Let's, let's say that, right? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You are king's kids. You are sons and daughters of the God of all creation because he he woke you up from your slumber. He made you alive when you were dead. And you are his treasure. You are his treasure that's sent into the world to call others to himself. Ephesians 5 says, Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. He will shine on you. And when he is finished with reaching the nations, when that last people group is reached with the gospel, then an awakening will happen in Israel and many Hebrew men, women, children uh, will, will, will place their faith and trust in Jesus as the Messiah and then the end will come and Jesus will come. And Jesus said, when that day happens, all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And to that I repent repeatedly cry out and beg God, come Lord Jesus, come. I can't wait. I can't wait. But our job and our work is not finished yet, right? It's not finished yet. We've got work to do. He's using us. And when you feel lonely and you feel like, man, I, I don't know, I don't know if I can do it, uh, the, the right answer is you can't do it. That's why Jesus said, not only am I telling you to go out and make disciples of all nations, but I am going with you. I am with you to the end of the age. Until the job is done, I'm with you. And I will never forsake you. And, then, and when they come at you, and some people will, they will want to end your life, know that not a hair on your head will perish because there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in who? Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the gift of the gospel, and thank you for what you're doing in this, in this world. 
And for anybody who is watching the live stream or even in this room who does not yet know you because they do not yet know your son Jesus, that, that they will hear these words, that all who call on the name of Jesus will be saved. That if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe God that you raised him from the grave, he shall be saved. Period. For the rest of us, God, in bold Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Work that you've called us to do. There is work to be done. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.